we have this, we have that. And everything that it was, it continued to layer on where I'm like, okay, so what's missing? What is, what do we not have here other than a really good business? It looks like, and things with layers upon layers of redundancy, safety nets, all the bells and whistles. What are we missing? And he said, we're missing the frosting. We're missing the piece on the outside of the cake that contains all the layers and makes it look really tasty and really good. Right now, it is a layered cake and it looks crazy because there's a thick layer here and then a little thin layer. And then there's another one and then there's this and there's that and there's all these pieces and it's this freaking high, but it doesn't look great. It looks like a crazy mess. We need somebody to come in, design the frosting, make it look cool on the outside and put a chef's kiss on it and finish it off with a bow on top or a cherry. Well, first of all, uh, welcome to the Research Labs podcast. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. For everyone who is listening right now, uh, the first question I usually try to ask everyone who come on the show, because this is the beginning of the show. Let's start with the beginning of, let's say, your journey. Like, how did you get started to begin with? All right. So my name is Brad Bethel. And I am from San Diego, California. I'm originally from Southern California. I was uh, born and raised here um, from a really early age. Um, I started doing a lot of creative things. I loved playing with Photoshop a lot, um, learning how to do things and create stuff on the computer. Um, I was always active in you know, teaching myself how to do things. When YouTube came out, that was a huge component for me in being self-taught, teaching myself. Um, throughout my, when I went to high school, I went to Ukaipa High School. And um, in high school, there wasn't actually a photography uh, uh, club at that point. There was a video class and a graphic design class. But when I took graphic design, what's funny is because of all the you know self-teaching and books and playing around with Photoshop a lot, uh, there was a lot of things that I knew how to do that the teacher actually didn't know how to do, which was kind of funny. So there was multiple times uh, during high school when I actually taught graphic design class, like for fun, I would say, hey, I know how to, I watched this tutorial online. Like, can I show everyone how to like make themselves into an avatar character, like from James Cameron's movie, you know, and you put the blue skin on and you filter and all this stuff. So we did some fun exercises there. And then um, with, uh, the video class, like I said, there was no photography class, but I was interested in photography, um, interested in video and that sort of stuff. And, uh, I took that, I think it was senior year and, uh, I got more interested in filming and, and cinematography and stuff. And that's kind of where I took my journey. When I went into college, uh, I went to Mount San Jacinto college in, uh, San Jacinto in Menifee area in Southern California. Went there and I got my degree in like multimedia photography kind of stuff. So I didn't fully complete. I got maybe about 99% of the way there. And then once I hit the uh, un undoable math classes and some of the other things, I just I couldn't get myself to pass. Um, I was like, all right, this is good enough. I, I finished all the photography courses, all the, the 3D classes, the videography, all that stuff. So I really developed myself there. Um, originally kind of take a step back for a second back in high school during that like video class one thing that happened was 
I was, I wanted to have a better camera than like everyone else in the class. And, uh, and during that time <laughs> I went to my uncle's pawn shop that was in Yukaipa where I was growing up and he was showing me kind of some of the things he had. I was wondering if he had any like video cameras that I could purchase and use that for my school projects and stuff like an HD camera, actually, instead of just the, the SD that they had at school. And he didn't have any video cameras or anything like that, but he had a photography camera and that is actually what got me into photography. And then I, you know, kind of took that path into college and, and continued learning on. And um, I did a lot of photography for many years. Um, at first it was my, my girlfriend in high school, her uncle was like a promoter in Hollywood, knew a lot of different celebrities and their agents and was connected with them, had a huge Rolodex and stuff. And so he ended up, uh, reaching out to a lot of people and, and seeing who needed photo shoots, things like that. And I got kind of my foot in the door with an industry. It, some people may know of is called celebrity gifting suites. And the idea was that before a big award, like the Oscars or the Emmys or something, there's a lot of people throughout LA and Hollywood area that will take advantage of those huge awards and they'll throw a little pre-parties or little after parties and they'll invite a bunch of people. And then they'll have smaller celebrities that are, you know, B-list, C-list celebrities that maybe don't have as big of a name anymore. They've kind of died out or maybe they're just coming up and they'll have them come in and take pictures with products basically is like product placement. Like look at the celebrity holding up my, whatever my pillow or whatever that I sell. And so um, I got a job as a photographer there, basically just taking pictures of celebrities holding up products and stuff. And from that, I was able to kind of, you know, get my way into doing headshots. And I did a lot of like portraiture headshots, um, celebrity uh, family photos and stuff. I do Christmas cards um, and things like that. And, uh, after doing a lot of photography for a while, um, I kind of grew a little faster than I think I was ready for. And uh, my some of my business partners that I brought on to help me out, we continued to grow to the point where we needed to hire people. And someone that we hired, uh, you know, I was goofy and silly. I didn't have contracts. I didn't have all the right proper stuff set up. And so they kind of undercut me. They went through and got all my clients and, and took business from me. And it kind of slowly fizzled out my business. And I kind of started to think, all right, is this what I want to do? Should I shift? Is there anything else I like in life? And I kind of took a break for a while, just did the normal thing, just got a job, um, started kind of working on myself, exercising, whatnot, that sort of thing. And then over time, um, I started getting back into photography. I wanted to do a, I was, I was becoming vegan. And so I was in a big transition period in my life. Um, I had lost a bunch of weight and stuff when I had started really focusing on my diet and focusing on, you know, exercising right. Um, and through all of that, I wanted to create a magazine because I was like, I want to do more graphics again. I want to get back into photography. What can I do? And I thought, well, a vegan magazine would be really fun, like a travel magazine for vegans. And so that was kind of the, the idea that I, that I stuck with. And I kind of just went straight on with it with my fiance, Allison, um, I think at the time, I think we were we were just boyfriend girlfriend, but we we were living in a car together. Funny enough, so I I had a, a whole section of my life where I was a van lifer, uh, living in my van for you know five years. Had my girlfriend with me for a little while in there, and throughout that time, we traveled a lot. And when we were in LA, that's kind of when the idea came of of uh, V Travel Mag, Vegan Travel Mag, and that was the idea. We started playing around with it for a while, and again, we hit a, a point where we started growing and we needed to hire people. 
And we didn't necessarily have the funds. We were living out of our car, you know, a lot of it we had done by ourselves by that point, um, with just, you know, the help of one other friend that we had met. And we were just kind of paying her on the side just as a thank you. And we wanted to to grow. And we thought, well, the only way we can do this is to hire other people. We just didn't see any other way. We we creatively just weren't, you know, adept in order to figure out other ways. We were kind of one track focus. This is how it has to be, right? And so when we decided that wasn't going to work, another idea, you know, got put on the back burner again. Something else that I did kind of fizzled out. And again, I was left with what am I going to do? And what, what what's next, basically? And that's kind of when I started learning about marketing. And that was my whole journey was all that, right? Leading, leading, leading up until the point where I felt like I had nothing left. And I felt I was good at photography and I was good at what I was doing with graphics. But at the end of the day, I kept every time I'd get to a point where I thought I was going to hit this success break point, I would, if something would happen and I would fizzle out. And then when I started learning about marketing, I kind of, I had this switch click and I felt that it's the marketing that I'm not getting right. It's that you could be the greatest at anything in the world. And if you don't know exactly how to market yourself, you don't know your customer and who you're targeting and how to speak to them and how to get them to listen to you and pay attention in the world of, you know, our attention sucking going everywhere, then it doesn't matter how great of a photographer or great of an artist or anything that you are. And so I thought, well, I somebody had said this in a in, and I don't know exactly who and I wish I could quote them, but they said something along the lines of, is there somebody out there who does what you do and does it not as well as you? And you know that, and you can look at their work and you say, I can do better than that. But yet they get more clients, more work, and they're more busy than you are making a, you know, a better, more successful business. Has that ever happened? And almost every single time, anything that I had worked on, I'm like, yes for that. Yes for this. Yes for that. Like his magazine is not as good. His graphics, his logos, his photography isn't as good or they're this, you know, and I would think, why are they able to do so well? But I'm not. And then I learned. It's because of marketing. It's because you got to be able to understand how to project your message and share it with others instead of just do your creation and kind of keep it to yourself and hope that people find you. It's not all about if you have a great product, it doesn't just mean that it's going to sell like hotcakes. You got to be able to sell that great product and tell people why they want it. Um, and so that was kind of my journey into marketing. That's what really got me passionate about it was, was those first initial moments when I when it really clicked. I had that epiphany, basically, of what was happening and what my, my problem was. I figured it out. And ever since then, I was just on the grind of courses, YouTube videos, podcasts, audiobooks, whatever I could find. I was just force feeding and cramming into my brain marketing, sales, whatever I could, branding, you know, continuing to hone my craft on design and graphics and photography and all that. So over time it developed. And uh, as I continued to do more and more marketing, um, I got to the point where I wanted to create my own kind of agency. I had a few clients. I had some good, you know, customer testimonials behind me now. Um, and I wanted to take what I had earned all the people that I have worked for and helped and kind of a lot of them I had done free projects and just try to build up my portfolio as a marketing uh you know marketing person if you will and as I did that and I took everything together um I was like all right I want to be an agency I want to create something where I can help multiple brands 
And my focus, it should be something around Web3. I was hearing a lot about NFTs on YouTube and you know Facebook and other social medias. And when I started learning about all things NFT and uh, Web3 related, I just started saying, okay, this is where I wanna pivot. I see that there's an organic trend that's going up that I can take advantage of with the marketing. Um, if I can hop in now early, then I, it can explode. There was a, there's actually a quote that, that gave me this idea was uh, Jeff Bezos, freaking richest dude in the world, basically, um, owner of Amazon, said that they, they had like an interview back in like 1990-something. I don't know exactly. But the guy had asked Jeff, like, why, why did you want to get into... Uh, you know, into books or into this online web sales or something like that. And he said something to the extent of, well, the, this industry is growing at like 3000% a year or 5000% a year, something crazy. And when I heard it, I was like, he's like, why wouldn't I want to jump in on that? Because anything I do is just going to add to that, basically. Like I'm getting that for free. And then if I add my effort, I'm getting all this extra benefit that that other people might not. And so I thought, wow, what are NFTs growing? And I looked it up and it was like something wild, like 33,000% a month at this point when I was when I was researching it. And this was, uh, I think, November 2020. So it was a little while back. And I was I was seeing that the growth was like exploding and they had started taking off as we were approaching into 2021. Um, and when I saw that, that's when I made the decision. I want to pivot into NFTs and web three. I started teaching myself slowly again, self-taught just YouTube videos, blogs, podcasts, whatever I could find until about November of 2021. So about one year exactly. And that's when I created my Twitter was somebody had mentioned that Twitter is the spot to be for NFTs in Web3. And when I heard that, I thought, okay, well, I, this is what I've been wanting to pivot into. This is what I've been learning. This is what I want to do an agency in. None of my clients at that point were Web3, but I knew that I wanted to work with a Web3 brand. That was my new dream customer that I had built out in my head. And I said, this is who I want to target. And so um, I created a brand called MetaFunnels. And that was my introduction into... NFTs and the world of Web3 and, and all that stuff was I created MetaFunnels. And from that, that was supposed to be like Metaverse introduced to funnels, like sales funnels and marketing funnels and things like that, kind of bridging the gap and bringing people together. And from that, I was, again, trying to find some clients, people that needed this service that I wanted to, to be able to bring to people, building out a little website, creating my, my marketing on the, the, on the Twitter page and Instagram, whatever else I had. And that's when I saw on Twitter, everyone talking about events. And I saw all these events happen all over the place. And I saw uh, NFT NYC. I saw people dressed up as like their NFT. They like this woman had painted her face. She was wearing a wig and she's like, I'm dressed as my NFT. And there was all these people there doing, doing talks and uh, you know, panels and all this stuff. And I thought, wow, that's super cool. And then I saw one in Miami and I saw one in Spain. And I thought, I live in San Diego. Is there one in San Diego? That would be really fun to go to. I wonder if there is. So I looked up online and I couldn't find a single thing on it. And when I couldn't find anything, I thought, I wonder if there's an opportunity for me to do an event. Now, I'd never done an event before. This was 
first thing I'd ever thought of. And, and I was already working on my website to do the meta funnel stuff, all the stuff regarding funnels and metaverse, right? So I was thinking, okay, should I continue with what I'm doing here or should I pivot once more and focus on this, this event area where there's an opportunity here and I see that, you know, events are big right now. There's obviously a need for it. There's nothing here in my area. There's nothing in Orange County that's close to me. So I thought, why not? I'll give it a shot. And so I went on Twitter spaces, started talking about the idea, just saying, this is my thought. What do you, what do you guys think? And lo and behold, somebody on Twitter spaces, believe it or not, was actually from San Diego. And they came onto the Twitter space and said, hey, I'm from San Diego. Let's meet up. That sounds like a cool idea. I want to do it. And so once we met up and I, I, I talked with her literally the next day and she essentially just said, listen, Brad, you have to do this. Got to do the idea. My first idea was just let's do an event with 300 people. Keep it small. We'll invite some people out, maybe have a few speakers and, and just meet people from Twitter. Um, the idea was I wanted to do it around my birthday and I was like, let's, let's have it around my birthday. So it's fun. And we'll have some people out from Twitter and it'll be great. And we'll have a couple speakers and maybe we'll learn and we'll just make a bunch of friends. Well, took that idea, threw it on Twitter and told everyone what we were doing. And one person after the other started coming in with, I can do DJ. I would love to DJ for you for free. I'm a photographer. I'll shoot the event, right? I'm a videographer. I'll make a video for you. Well, I'm a podcaster. I'll come and I'll interview your speakers. And so then I started having all these people started to come to me and I was like, all right, this is going to get a little bigger than I thought. Hopefully we can handle this. And it just kept growing and growing and growing to the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to need help. And I reached out, uh, there was an, um, an event mixer and I know I'm going on here for a while. Trust me, there's a point to all of this. And, I'll, and I'm bringing it to the point here of where, how I met Scott. Um, and so there was an event mixer going on in San Diego and uh, I went to this and that's where I was lucky enough to meet um, my business partners for the event. Um, I met a guy named Mark there, Mark Banez, and uh, his brother wasn't there at the time, Andrew, but he, he was, he was partner with him. And I was talking with some people there saying, Hey, I got this event coming up. It's getting way bigger than I thought. I didn't understand what I had agreed to, to the internet. <laughs> they, and they, they don't let things go. Um, so I have to fulfill, how can I do this? I don't have an event venue. I don't have this. I don't have that. And at that point we had launched our website and, and, and pre-sold tickets so we could take that money and like pay a venue. Cause I was like, I don't know how I'm going to raise money. I, I was just a normal dude. So on our first day, we did like $10,000 within nine hours once we launched the website. And so we were just like, oh my God, we got all this money. Holy crap, what do I do with it? I don't have a venue. I don't have speakers. I don't have food. I don't have anything. And so I was kind of panicking as we were approaching the date <laughs> and I didn't have anything and I didn't know what I was doing. And that's, like I said, where I met Mark. Um, he was there at the mixer and he said, okay, what do you have? I was like, I got nothing. I, I, this is the date. This is how many people, this is how many tickets I've already sold. This is how much money I have sitting in the bank. What can I do? How can you help me? And he's like, all right, you got a lot to do. Um, let me call my brother and we'll figure this out. And literally the next day we met up. And from that point forward, we just started working every single day to the point where he got me a venue. We got a bunch of speakers. We got food, all this stuff. And literally like a week before the event, we had sold almost all of our tickets out. 
we had all these people flying out from all around the world. We had people coming from like Romania and Spain and Mexico. We had someone coming from Canada. There was like people literally coming from everywhere. I was like blown away at people that were coming from all over the place. And like a week away from the event, we get a call from the venue and they say, hey, Brad, I'm sorry to, t and, and mind you, I'm at the venue right now and I have 15 artists with me. I have like some uh, acrobats that we were going to have there. I have painters that were supposed to paint live on canvas there. We had a DJ who was checking out sound and his sound system. We had all these people there that were scouting the venue. And while I'm looking at the venue and talking with him about it and explaining where everything's going to go, we're one week out, mind you. The venue call says, hey, Brad, I'm sorry to tell you this, but unfortunately, man, the fire marshal came in and they have essentially brought us down to 50 people as our max capacity. And I was supposed to have a thousand people. And so I was like, all right, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, like, uh, you know, you kind of screwed me on this one. And they're like, I'm really sorry. I don't know what to tell you. We'll give you a refund. So that was its own thing, getting our money back from them, right? Always fun. And so once we got all that back, uh, again, Mark and Andrew, the saviors come in and they're able to use their connections and quickly find us a place. Within two days, we signed on the new place, way more expensive than what we were expecting to pay. So threw us all out of budget, but we we're able to make it happen. We we're able to get everyone there, reorganize, re-logistic everything. We laid it all out. Uh, it was a really great event. Two days. We had over 1,500 people come through. We met a bunch of different people. Um, it was the most diverse event in Web3 history. We've had the most women speakers of any NFT or Web3 event in the world. We had more children uh, speaking at that event. We had more diverse group of anyone and because it was our focus. That was our main focus from the get-go, from everyone on Twitter. When I asked, what do you guys want in an NFT event? I see them everywhere. What is lacking and how can we bring that to San Diego? And everybody says there's not enough diversity. It's just a bunch of the same type of person up on stage kind of talking about their $100,000 NFT. And we want some, some people who are average people that we can feel like, hey, how did you make money? Maybe you made a $14,000 flip. We can, we can connect to, yeah. And so people, yeah, exactly. People they can connect to. And that's, that's exactly what happened. We had a great time. And throughout all of this, right, there was a lot of FUD throughout that because of what had happened with the venue. There was some employee uh, drama of people on the inside that didn't like the way we were doing things. They were nervous that it wasn't going to happen in time, that people were going to get upset. A lot of FUD going on because of all of that. Um, we had to send out kind of an email of like, hey, everyone, the event is still happening. Everything's going on. Don't worry. We're working on it. There was a mishap with the with the venue. We're fixing it now. We've signed a new place, all this stuff. Um, but when that happened, a guy by the name of Scott Curry, who you know and who messaged you, Scott, he came to me and he actually said, hey, I want to help you. I hear all the negativity that's surrounding this right now, and I believe that you're doing the right thing, that you have an opportunity to hold this event here and that you know you can make San Diego an awesome spot for Web3 uh, uh, happenings and that this can be a good event. Um, and I wanna do whatever I can, how can I help you? <clears throat> and so I just told Scott, the number one thing that we need right now, man, is volunteers. More than anything, we need more people to help us with this event because I don't have enough security, I don't have enough door people, I don't have enough people checking badges, I don't have, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. There was just, it was so 
put together very quickly and by just a large group of people all around the world that it was it wasn't exactly perfect, right? And so Scott, with his awesomeness, brought like 15 people down. He brought some friends, he brought family, he brought his kid, his his son's friends were there, like his little his son's little friends were there, and they were all helping. Like everyone that he knew basically came down in order to support and help us and volunteered and made the event a huge success because of them. Um, wouldn't have been able to do a lot of very crucial things without his help and without the volunteers help. And um, throughout the event, a lot of people brought me ideas. I'm sure, you know, as, as you know, uh, being the founder of anything, there's people that want to connect with you and having this event that we just had a bunch of people at, there was all these guys walking up to me with, Hey, I got an NFT idea. I got an NFT idea. Check my event out. Will you help me do this event? And a lot of them were really nice people and they had great ideas and I liked them. But then Scott came along with an idea that stuck with me as soon as he said it. And I couldn't leave my mind because after the event, I took like a small break. I took a little mini vacation. And that whole time I was thinking about all the different projects. And the one that kept coming back was Scott's idea. And funny enough, it actually wasn't FlexCube at that point. It was a different idea. It was an NFT project, but it was for dogs. And it was for helping all dogs in America receive free health care. And it was going to be all paid for through NFTs. And we had a whole system laid out. And when he explained it to me, I was like, this is the best idea. Out of all the other ideas, this is the best one. It provides real utility. People are already paying you know, thousands of dollars a year on like dog food and dog health care and all this. If they could pay for one NFT and that took of all took care of all their dog health care, all their dog food, all this, and it and it was a an all-encompassing package when you purchased a dog, this is the this is the ticket because the number one issue what that that Scott had described to me was that with shelters, a lot of people will spend a lot of money on purchasing a dog from a breeder. And then whenever any medical issue happens, a lot of the time they're kind of struggling to to pay that and also keep their rent and keep their car and all these things. And so a lot of people are unfortunately forced with either either having to let their dog remain sick or take them to the pound essentially to where they'll get care there and leave the dog. And so we thought, well, if that's the issue is that the reason dogs keep going to the pound is because of healthcare. If we were to kind of eliminate that and sever that tie, we could kind of stop filling the water into the, you know, the pound bucket basically and let it kind of run dry. And so it's helping the shelters from the outside in versus the inside out, which is the traditional method. And so I thought this is a really smart idea. This makes a ton of sense. It's a really strong model and it's based on real world value that is already there. And when when we talked about the idea, his whole thing was he wanted to do an NFT that was a cube and that people could sell um, and they could take pictures of their dog or videos and it creates this cube or whatever. And I thought it was a great idea, but we had to have a device. And so he had thought of the, the device, the Flex Cube. And that is where all of this started to come into my world. And I heard for the first time, wait, what? What is this magical device you talk of? The Flex Cube? At first, I was a little hesitant on the name. I, I got to admit, I wasn't the, the biggest fan of it. It took me time to understand what it all meant because I, I didn't, never understood flexing. I didn't really get it before. I never used that word as a part of my dictionary. And I always thought it was kind of a goofy thing to do. 
And I never understood it until we started getting more deep into it. And so when he brought the idea of the flex cube, the more and more we worked on, it, I kept saying to Scott, man, this needs to live in the separate entity over here so I can market it a little bit different without any of the dog healthcare stuff. Because the dog healthcare NFT is cool, but when you put it on this cube, it's confusing because then you think that the cube has to do with the dog and it can be used for so many other things. And the more and more we kind of developed and talked about it and showed people and, and all these things, we all came to the idea of we need to put a break on the true breed dog healthcare stuff, right? It's a great idea and there's value there. But ultimately, in this space with the elevation and, and, and uh, extreme trend right now of Web3, NFTs, all that stuff, we should take advantage of the organic growth and provide something to the people who are spending money on all these NFTs. They're dropping thousands of dollars. And typically it sits on a little thumb drive with no screen on it. And it sits in their backpack or it sits on their desk or whatever. And whenever they do look at it, they might pull it up on their phone or on their laptop, but they look at it for maybe a minute or two and then they put it away. And there's really no way for them to enjoy it for a long period of time. And we thought, well, what about picture frames? Well, picture frames are okay, but again, you can only show one thing at a time, like a phone. You typically don't sit there and stare at it for a while. It's usually mounted somewhere on your wall or has to be up on a front on a stand somewhere. Um, a lot of the cheap picture frames that are digital have really low resolution and poor color quality. So they're not that great if you buy one, you know, on Best Buy or whatever. But then when you look at the opposite end of the NFT displays, they're really high color, beautiful displays that are flat. They sit nicely on the wall, but then they're what? $1,200, $2,000. So they cost a lot of money. So there's this gap in the middle where there's a need for this perfect device that can sit on a desk and not only show off one thing, but show off multiple things all at once. And that's kind of where the idea came from, um, is if you think about social media, what is social media used for? What is Instagram used for, right? If I, if, if I were to ask you, what do you think uh, Instagram is used for? Yeah, it's uh, to kind of, you know, put share moments of your life, which you think are worth sharing. And so that that was like the initial idea. But now I think it's it's moving towards a place where it's a uh, you flex, basically. <laughs> exactly. And that's the idea is whenever you think about Instagram and I like using Instagram as the as the one, but you could think of TikTok or any of the other platforms. But Instagram is a good one where you go into someone's profile and what are they doing? They're they're showing off or they're sharing kind of the best parts of their life. It's not every single moment of their life, but it's their curated moments that they think represent who they are. Maybe their favorite foods, maybe going out to you know their favorite park and they like showing the view, maybe their dog, maybe their family, maybe they like stocks and they just that you know they made a thousand bucks today so they take a screenshot and they're sharing it with their friends and saying hey i did pretty well today i i got i got lucky or whatever right um uh, they like sharing off or showing off the best parts of their life and whenever you go on someone's profile do you see a single image or do you see multiple images you see tons of images right you see more than six right you see nine ten whatever you see all these images on someone's profile and that's the whole representative of the person you get to see and they get to essentially flex who they are. They take all the best parts and they say, check me out. 
this is me. This is all the best parts of me. And this is who I want to be known as. And that's them flexing their life, flexing their personality. Well, that's great in the digital world. It's a great app. It can be used on a tablet, on a phone, on a computer. And that's awesome. But whenever you do that, it's dedicated. It's used. You have to open that app, right? You got to use it for that purpose. Wouldn't it be cool if there was an IRL device, something physical that could sit in the real world and show off rather than saying, go online and check out my profile to see me flex my life or show off my favorite parts. How about you walk into my room, you walk into my office and what do you see sitting on my desk or on my shelf or sitting on the coffee table? That's flexing the best parts of my life. When you sit there and you view it, you're going to see everything that I love, my NFTs, uh, my favorite crypto that I keep an eye on. You're going to see you know, uh, pictures of my kids, my dog, my food, whatever it is. And that's the idea. And that was how it all spawned and how when we saw that, we thought there's perfect opportunity for everyone to get involved. Everyone that has an NFT project that wants to be able to show it off. This is a great device to be able to do it. So I know I just threw literally the whole kitchen sink at you, but <laughs> I just wanted to be able to have that whole moment because I was yeah, on a flow, yeah. man. Okay. I got to say I was on a flow <laughs> and I just, I had to let it go. I had to let it go. Okay. All right. So I'll, I'll be quiet now. I'll, I'll let you uh, ask me some questions or, or talk a little bit. Cause I know I'm, I'm running out here. Yep. So I, I, I think we started with photography and you not knowing marketing and eventually that ended up to you marketing an event that, you know, basically blew the place. Yep. So that, that's, exactly. that's a great progression. That's a great progression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Woo. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Definitely a wild ride for sure. And I, and I can't take all the credit for that. A lot of it was community driven. A lot of that was community driven for sure. I may be the, the captain of the ship, right. With my, my captain's hat on or whatever. But at the end of the day, it was, it was all the people of Twitter and it was my core team uh, of San Diego NFT convention that, that made it happen. Cause without them, I just, there's no way I could have done it. Absolutely. No way. I'm not that organized. <laughs> I'm creative. I'm all over the place. <laughs> I, I would say it's like, you know, uh, you were, uh, at, at the right moment at the right time. And I think you were able to see where things were going and take action on it. And then it kind of just, you know, happened with a lot of hard work. I'm sure a lot of hard work. Absolutely. I, I would 100% agree with that. 100%. <laughs> and and don't, you, don't you find, you know, it's really magical that you work hard at something and it does not work out. And there are just things that just kind of happen and you wonder how did that happen? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's 100% true, my man. Dude, that was, yeah, couldn't have said it better myself because that was one of those times when it's like, how the hell did that just happen? Literally after... At the end of the event, we wanted to have a, during the entire event, actually, we wanted to have a whole section for cannabis, um, but due to the event venue falling out and us having to find a new one, there was restrictions on cannabis vendors. And so we couldn't bring anything in. So that had to be scrapped. Things had to be changed. But on the last day, we were able to get a cannabis bus. It's a two decker bus where you can go in there and you could smoke joints. Okay. And at the end of the day, I went up there and they, I was gifted a beautiful package of, of, of weed that, that they had a nice joint and a big old glass case with some awesome looking, you know, nugs in it and all this stuff. And they said, okay, we got one for you. 
And we got one for your keynote speaker. And the, the woman that we had there, her name is Macy Gray. She's a, a Grammy award-winning artist that I'm sure a lot of people have heard of. She's very, very famous. She was awesome when she came there. She was super kind, did an awesome uh, talk and a, and a panel and all that stuff. So it was great having her. And at the end, I was able to give her this awesome gift. And then we went up there and we were able to smoke at the end with Macy Gray in a weed bus in the downtown San Diego, right out front of the Padre Stadium. And I'm sitting there with my head, with my hands over my head, just like, how did all of this happen? This is crazy. I've been working on so many things that didn't work. And then I do this crazy idea and look at where I'm at. <laughs> I was just photographing your friends like a few years ago and I'm smoking joint with them. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, I was taking pictures of other artists. Now I'm hanging out with them, smoking weed. What was happening? Yeah. Oh man. Yes. Definitely yeah. a, a wild ride for sure. Unexpected, but, but it was good. Yeah. And and I was also curious to understand. I saw Vayner Media somewhere. Yes. Yeah. So Vayner Media, um, they actually had uh Jessica Greenwalt. Jessica Greenwalt is the I think she's the creative director for Vayner Media or Vayner NFT or something like that. One of the Gary uh V companies. She's like the 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 creative director of it. And so she was super great person that we met on Twitter, kind of, I think, again, just through spaces, maybe a mutual connection, I believe. Um, and she was kind of on a tour of trying to speak at events and trying to put herself out there, not only as, you know, VaynerMedia, but also just kind of creating a name for herself and establishing that she has a lot of knowledge. She's very intelligent in this industry and that she's a, a good speaker. And she wanted to go on like a speaking circuit. And so um, through that, she re either she reached out to me or somebody had helped me kind of get in contact with her. I can't remember the exact specifics. Um, but through that, she was saying, hey, you know what? I, I work with Gary Vee directly. And although Gary Vee charges, you know, a ton of money to, to come speak at events and he doesn't do a, a weekend event, which ours was a weekend because he likes to spend time with his family and he likes to have that time to be able to do what he likes um, that I would be willing to come down you know, I won't charge you anything. I'll, I'll help you out. We will kind of help each other. I hear that your event is a community driven event and it's very bootstrapped and stuff. And so I can come down and I know some other people that I can maybe invite as speakers as well and see if they want to come. And so lo and behold, she brought some other people, some speakers and stuff that, that helped me out that she got me connected with. Um, just a lot of really great people. And, and from that, um, now we kind of have that little small connection, you know, to, to Gary Vee and still haven't got to meet him yet. Hopefully soon. That would be awesome. Um, hopefully with a flex cube in hand, that would be extra awesome. But, uh, but yeah, she was a great person and really represented the, the whole brand very well. And she did a great job on stage. And I think everyone loved seeing her and getting to talk with her and being able to connect with her and, and stuff like that was really cool. Cause having that direct you know, one-off connection to Gary V is pretty rare. So to, to have that is, is super special. No, no, uh, you know, so what, what I'm noticing right now is that you were just like trying to understand marketing and NFTs together. And then you do this event and suddenly the community kind of, you know, adjusted that itself around you and the, and your idea. And I would say that is pretty cool because even when I was talking to Scott, right. Uh, he was you know, explaining me how the cube works and then he was talking about uh, you like you know like he was trying to introduce you to me like to make you know to make me understand where you come from 
and well the event was the first thing that came up so yeah, yeah. so I, I can i can see how the event kind of left a very deep impression oh totally i mean that was the whole point of the event from the beginning and i had told people this so many times like if you go back and hear any twitter spaces or whatever is well actually i don't know because it's been a while now i don't know if, it, if twitter saves them that long but during those Twitter spaces, I kept telling people that I, I don't expect this to be a huge event <laughs> at the whole time. I was always like 300, 300. And then, you know, working with people, it kind of went up to 500 and then 800 and then 900 and then a thousand. And then by the time we looked at all the numbers after it was like 1500 people actually that walked the door. So it was a lot more than we thought was going to be there. But, um, but this whole time that all of that was happening, um, yeah, it was it was a uh, it was a huge process of of one learning and two. Uh, man, I totally lost my train of thought there. I'm I'm trying to remember. Can you remind me again what you had just said a second ago um, and what it pertained to? Yeah, I was mentioning how the event kind of left an impression and how you know that that was the introduction that was given to me. Thank you. That's perfect. That's exactly what I needed. The impression is that I wanted it to at the end of the day, like I said, 300 people, right? And I said, my goal is one, I wanna do it around my birthday, so it's fun. But two, I wanted to leave with, with one of two things was my goal with that event. One would be, I have a lot of NFT ideas, things with Web3, smart contract, how they can be used for in, endless amounts of things that I'm like, I just don't know how to do it, right? But I have all these ideas and I, and I wanna work with people who can help me create or option number two is find somebody with an idea better than what I got and, and attach myself to them. And so I can help them with what I do with marketing or funnels or branding or whatever I can provide. And that's when, when I met Scott and I saw Truebreed, that's what I wanted to do. And then when I saw FlexCube, I was like, I went even harder. I was like, all right, this is everything I want to do. Like, I don't want to work on anything but FlexCube now. Um, and that completely, again, shifted and made a huge impact, not only in my life, but I think, in, you know, obviously in Scott's life and, uh, and, and a lot of people in, in, in the if San Diego NFT convention event, I heard that that event made an impact for them as well in their life that after the fact, they're like, Hey, after that event, I met some people and I got hired to do an art piece. Someone commissioned me. I got hired. Somebody bought my my stuff i have a new nft holder i got somebody who's a whale now and they bought like 25 nfts or whatever and so from that event i think there was a lot of impact that a lot of people were to have which was really cool you know i'm studying FlexCube and trying to wrap my head around the technology and the software that we are building so uh, you know i was wondering how difficult is it uh from a technical from a marketing perspective to put together not just a hardware product but also a software layer to it and then explain people how the whole thing is going to work and also make sure that you know you build a business out of it yes <laughs> there's a lot of layers right <laughs> like any good cake as scott would say any good cake has a lot of layers and you want uh, you want the cake to look as good as it tastes. That's what he always says. So with with everything that Scott has, he has built a very layered cake. I'll say that. that when I came to Scott, he didn't just have an idea of, you know, the base layer of the cake. He had, I want to build a flex cube. 
And here's a revenue model that we could use for restaurants. Here's a revenue model we could use for NFTs. Here's something we could use for the dog health insurance. Here's something we could use for sports and, and all that kind of stuff and collectibles. And it was just one thing after the other. And then he, and then I'd be like, okay, you have all this. What about the back end? He's like, well, we have the LLC. The LLC is owned by a parent company that's an S Corp, so people can invest. We have the royalty agreement set up and we have everything written on a contract that people can check and read. We have a white paper. We have this, we have that. And everything that it was, it continued to layer on where I'm like, okay, so what's missing? What is, what do we not have here other than a really good business it looks like? And things with layers upon layers of redundancy, safety nets, all the bells and whistles, what are we missing? And he said, we're missing the frosting. We're missing the piece on the outside of the cake that contains all the layers and makes it look really tasty and really good. Right now, it is a layered cake and it looks crazy because there's a thick layer here and then a little thin layer. And then there's another one and then there's this and there's that and there's all these pieces and it's this freaking high, but it doesn't look great. It looks like a crazy mess. We need somebody to come in, design the frosting, make it look cool on the outside and put a chef's kiss on it and finish it off with a bow on top or a cherry, right? And so when I saw all that, I thought, oh, great. Well, it sounds like what you need is what I can provide. I can provide the graphics. I can provide the branding. I can provide the, the ideas for the software, the look of the software, the UI, the feel, the buttons, the shape, the color of things. If we're going to do squared corners or rounded corners, if we're going to use a bold font or a non-bold font, we're going to have everything all laid out and we're going to make it look good. So not only does the idea hold up and it's got a lot of stability to things, but then when you look at the item, not only does it look sexy, but it works sexy now, right? You got both, you got both aspects of it. And so the original FlexCube version, the V1 of the prototype that I saw was this big bulky box about the size of my head. And it had little tiny screens on there on each side. And it had a ton of electronics on the inside. They were kind of all you know, taped together. And the idea was just to show a proof of concept of this thing can be done. It's taking all the pieces, putting them together and showing you can put six screens on a cube and it works. When I saw it, I thought, okay, that's cool, but it looks ugly. He agreed. Doesn't look good. Second version comes. We try to make it smaller, make the bezel smaller, make the, the corners a little bit tighter and make everything just a lot nicer and neater. But in doing so, we had to cram out all the same stuff basically into an even smaller enclosure now. So now we got to the point where it was really starting to not fit and things weren't, weren't working well. So now we got to that point and we're, that's kind of where we're at now is we've, we've put that that side to the, or we put that step to the side. And now we're working on the third prototype, which is the final body, which will be a much thinner bezel. If you go to the website and you see, it's got that aluminum frame, very similar to like you'd get on like a MacBook, right? It's anodized aluminum, kind of a single piece um, that, that holds it all together. It might be two pieces or three pieces. I'm not sure on the exact, you know, how it's going to be, but the idea is it holds it all together with this, you know, aluminum frame. So 
that aluminum frame is what I designed. That's the frosting because he had something very basic, very simple. And so I came in and I did 3D throughout high school and throughout college. And so I just kind of took, you know, what I had learned through there. And I'm like, I'm going to download Blender. It's a free uh, application. I started watching some tutorials online and within a week I was basically ready to go where I was like, all right, I, I kind of learned. I remember from high school how you kind of have to work in 3D and like how to be non-destructive with your editing and how to do certain things. Uh, I just got to figure out where those tools are in Blender and what menus they're at, basically. So I figured all that out and I started building the FlexCube V3, which is what you see on the website now. And I built that full version out. I, you know, I textured it. I colored it. I put the, the screens on there. I created some imagery around it threw it up and said, okay, this is now the version. This is the frosted version of the cake. It's becoming more and more of a cake. And as we layered things on, I created the logo. Then I created the branding colors. I said, these are our exact colors. Here's the fonts we use, everything that we do. I started creating graphics. We created the Twitter and the Instagram page. And one thing after the other just started coming together where it started to look more and more and more like a company. It started to feel more like a product that was real and that was actually going to deliver and give somebody a really great experience. And so that's that's at the point where we are now is we've we've slowly added on. We've continued to refine. We've we've learned from people. You know, at the beginning, we called it a digital lifestyle device. We thought that was a smart idea and we thought that makes sense to us. It's a digital lifestyle device. Well, whenever you describe that to somebody, they say, what the heck is that? And whenever I say, well, it's a six sided tablet, they go, oh, got it. Makes perfect sense. So it's really about learning the language, seeing what people respond to, what they don't respond to, and then adapting it slowly and converting that into our, our messaging, which is now our, our slogan, FlexCube is designed to help you flex all the best parts of your life. When you are putting in so much effort into not just the UI of it, but I think you also design how the whole cube looks like, right? Is is there like a lot of back and forth between you and, for example, a technical person who is doing the electronics of it? So believe it or not, no. Um, the, the way that it probably should be done, yes. But for the sake of one time, two the fact that our our designer that we were working with at the time was in Pakistan. So the time frames were always off when I'm working during the day, he's asleep. When he's working during his time, I'm asleep. And so there was always kind of a disconnect there. We there would be times when we could talk later on at night, but it was only for a short amount of time where we could kind of interact. Um but at the end of the day, what I was designing wasn't necessarily supposed to be an exact to a T version because blender doesn't have measurements like a like a cad program would where you build an actual piece of something in it and it mills it out of aluminum or whatever it doesn't have the exact uh uh it doesn't work the exact way right it's a little bit different it's creative software so with blender i was more so just creating what i wanted it to look like i was creating the visual and the and the feel for it and and knowing hey we can take my idea and go to someone who can take my Blender file, convert it into a CAD file, manipulate anything that needs to be changed on the sizing and, and things like that. And we can make it correct. But as long as I can get the idea out, then I can show people and I can explain this is what's going to be created. We don't have it yet. We're still working on it. But this is what it's going to look like. We're going to work tirelessly until it hits this form factor that you're looking at here. And it's should be possible with everything that I looked at from trying to look on online at the, at the screens and what there is to offer and how 
the bezels are shaped and things. I tried to make it as accurate on my measurements as I could, but again, Blender's not built for that. So there's only so much that I was able to do. But um, now we're working with someone who is here in America. I think they're out in Arizona, I believe. And they do a lot of aerospace stuff. So they create a lot of different uh, technology, produce millions of units of all kinds of things for a lot of different big companies um, and, and just people all, all over the place, all, all over the, the country. And so with that, now we're going to be working a lot closer with, hey, here's the design. What can you do? How can you make this? All right, here's what we have. Send it back. I'm going to look at it and say, okay, this is ugly. That's got to change consumers aren't going to like this. This doesn't fit the brand. Where are we at now? And it's just boom, 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 back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until we hit, here's the final version, stamp it, whatever we got to do and move on and, and, and create the molds. And then, and, uh, and then we'll be good on that. So that's kind of the, the process of all of that. Of, of getting the product ready. I, I get it. And, uh, I would say when you, I have never seen anything like it before. So I would say this is an addition to the uh, the electronic products people are used to buying and using. For sure. I I heard you mention that, you know, uh, you guys have different use cases for the product as well. Okay, this is how a restaurant would use it. This is how a store would use it, right? So how, how does that process look like? In the sense, do you go to people who own restaurants, explain them what it is? and then test it out with them? Like, how does that look like? Absolutely, great question. Um, so in terms of the restaurants, and, and I can go over other ideas as well, but in terms of the restaurants, our idea is that you're, you're right. First off, let me just say that the FlexCube is very different from anything else. And that's kind of the, the point that we want to make is that it's, it's unlike anything else. So it kind of doesn't really compete with anything. You're not gonna get rid of your phone and have a FlexCube instead, right? You're not going to get rid of your Apple watch and have a flex cube. You're not going to get rid of your computer and instead own a flex cube. Um, you're not even going to get rid of maybe your Alexa at home, right? Because the Alexa serves its purpose. It has its need and, and it's a speaker or whatever, and you, you send it notes or whatever you use it for. This is a device that is, is completely in a new category where you know how people have their watch, their phone, their laptop and their their smart speaker at home. Well, now you can add to that a flex cube. That's the next piece is it doesn't replace any one of those. It just adds a new piece of tech. Before there was smartwatches, people had their phone, their laptop, their tablet, and their whatever. And then smartwatches came along and added a fifth one, right? That's what we're doing. We're coming along, we're adding the next one. And so there's it's just a new piece of tech that hasn't been invented before that provides a whole new purpose and a whole new value. Now, in terms of the restaurant, what we want to do is go to places like, let's say if you've ever been, we, we went today to Applebee's and we met with one of our engineers. We spoke with him about the product and kind of some of the uh, problems that we had with the second version of the, the prototype and where we were at, what we needed to do, how we needed to pivot. And at the end of the meal, there's a little thing at the end with a little screen and a credit card swiper. And I'm sure you've seen them. They're all over the place and you can pay for your meal. And whenever you go to pay, there's other there's other options, right? You can order more drinks. You can call your waiter. You can play games, right? Your kids that, that grab it and want to they want to play a game, and it's ninety nine cents and auto bills you <laughs> to your to your table, right? So they have all these options. 
But when you look at that thing and you hold it, one, it, it has one screen. That's the first problem, right? So you can only advertise one thing at once. It's either drinks or it's the games or it's some special that you have. Or maybe it's an advertiser that that is come in and they say, hey, can I advertise my my roofing company or, or I do realty? I would like to be, I'm a realtor. I sell homes in the air. I'd like to be on your, your cube here at Applebee's. So when people come in, they'll, they'll see me every once in a while or whatever. Well, you only have one screen. And the problem with that screen is that it's low resolution and it's low brightness. Okay. And the touch screen is very slow at being responsive. It's a very older style of, of, of touch display. So when you touch it, it takes a second. It's not like a smartphone where it's this very instant snappy feedback that we're used to nowadays. And so we're hoping that this, and here, this is just a 3d printed version with some stickers on the outside, just to kind of represent what it is. But we're hoping that this will sit and it will sit there at the end of your table. And now, whenever you go to pay for your meal, you can do the exact same. You pay with this, you tap your card on it, whatever uh, whatever features, maybe there's a credit card slider sitting to the side, but there would be no screen on the bottom because there's really not a need for it. It would sit there on the table. It would allow you to play games. You could still watch all the same features, but now since you have more screens, you can do a lot more things with it. So not only can it have, do you want to order drinks on the front here, but on this side, it can say, do you want to call your waiter? On this side, do you need more water? Do you want to upgrade and get any dessert? On the top, you can have advertisements running all day long. It doesn't ever have to stop. So the restaurant can be earning side income from realtors, from plumbers, from uh, housing contractors, from people in the area that want to take advantage of that local market. And they can run it without losing out on the advantage of upsells that can be displayed all around the outside of the cube. And in addition to that, you can still have games. You can still do all kinds of stuff. So while there's a game playing over here, mom can still order appetizers over here. And so it's a cube that allows you to do so many more things and gives more flexibility. And so what we're doing is we're going to the restaurant owner and saying, look, you already pay X amount every month for this little tap, right? They're not yours. You're renting them. You're paying a fee for the service. You're paying per transaction that people use on the card because it's convenient and the, the company makes money and they take a percent, right? So if you're already doing all of that, wouldn't you want to have a better alternative that can do all that and then some and allowing you to make double or even triple what you normally would because there's six or rather five because we would remove the bottom one. There's five screens now to be able to advertise instead of one. And it's the exact same style. A device that sits there. It's about the same footprint, um, but our screens are more responsive. They're brighter. They, they're they're better color. It's better for viewing objects and for, for looking at things. And while it's sitting there, if you don't want to have something, let's say you're in a very nice restaurant and you don't want to bug people, you can have a beautiful little fireball on there, right? It's like a digital candle. You, you can make this a snow globe. You can make it themed. You can go into the restaurant and say, hey, guess what? I'm going to be proposing to my to my girlfriend and I want to have some beautiful photos of us loaded up on there. So when it hits, I want to be able to hit something and I want it to, to light up. So when I ask her to marry me, it's got this really beautiful moment. You know what I mean? And you can customize and you can have something specific. So when you go in, it remembers you. You put in your, your code or you tap your phone or, or something along those lines. You scan a QR code maybe. Boom, it connects to your profile. Your points are added to it. Um, it remembers what you want, what drinks you like, all those things, your dietary preferences, makes it simple, and it gives you way more flexibility 
and they're already doing it. So for a lot of restaurant owners and bar owners, it's a simple upgrade that we're going to follow that same basic model and we just provide a lot more value to them overall. I would say, will there be like a program in the beginning where maybe you just give it to a couple of restaurants and then collect data as to how people are interacting with it? For sure. Yeah. We want to create a, uh, like an actual platform, a Scott, he is actually part owner of a restaurant here in San Diego. And that's where we're going to be, um, kind of beta testing it and everything. It's a pizza, pizza restaurant in Rancho Santa Fe. It's called goalie. And, um, and we're going to be testing it there where we're going to have the flex cube, you know, as we're building out the prototypes and all those things, we'll have some versions there that will create the software and we'll have a simple program that can run advertisements on the top and any of the four sides can be programmed to whatever you choose. One can be a, a virtual waiter. So if you need a waiter, you just tap the button. It makes it a lot faster. You can select what you want. If you want water refills, more napkins, whatever it happens to be, it just expedites the process. So we'll create that. Um, and, and that hopefully we'll be able to launch completely whenever the, whenever the full consumer grade unit goes out, we'll kind of have as well that software already built and we'll be producing at that point, the, the versions for the restaurants, which will be a little bit more industrial, a little bit thicker edge, actually, um, a little bit heavier. So when it sits on the table, it's, it's just more, a little bit more sturdy and stuff. Um, but those will be the next units that we start producing after we do the consumer grade version, but we want to have the app done. So that way we can be using it, testing it, even with the consumer grade version at restaurants or at bars or coffee shops or wherever, you know, people want to have it. It could even be at a tattoo shop. If you want, you could have tattoos all over it. You know, it's like a digital tattoo book that you could flip through. I mean, the, the, the amount of options are, are really endless when you think about it. So yeah, and apart from that, you mentioned that this is going to be like a new category apart from, you know, a phone or an Alexa. And then I heard that and I was like, is is there no way to like put Alexa and Google Assistant in this cube? Because I saw that, you know, it has a it has a mic and it has a speaker as well. Absolutely. You definitely can. I mean, if you think about it, whatever you can do on your phone, right, it's going to be running Android. So I have an Android phone here. But whatever you do on your phone, if you can do it on here, if you can load up Alexa or a smart assistant like Google or Microsoft uh, uh, Bing or, or whatever the whatever it might be, right? Obviously, Apple doesn't allow things other than on their devices. But whatever smart assistant you want, you can load it up on here. You can do the exact same thing on the FlexCube. It's going to be running the latest uh, Android. It's going to have a very fast processor, just like what you would get in a phone. It's going to be able to do all the exact same things that you can do whether it be loading up your trust wallet, having your Instagram, your Twitter, um, putting pictures on there, having calls. I mean, you could do voice calls on it. It's not going to have a camera. That's going to be one kind of differentiator. Because, I mean, if you think about it, where would you put a camera on this thing? You know what I mean? How are you going to take a picture with this? You're going to hold this big old cube and be like, all right, say cheese. <laughs> Just like the old days. It's going to be a little goofy, right? This is a lot easier to take a picture because it's flat. It's easy to hold. It's easy to point in the direction. Having a big giant cube is a little more awkward, a little bit more cumbersome. Um, and so the idea is that it's it's not supposed to be something that you're necessarily supposed to take everywhere with you. You can, um, but it's more so a desktop device, something that you keep around. So. so if it has Android on it, it also will have the Play Store. Yep. 100%. Yeah, it'll have the Play Store. And then we want to create uh, our own version of a, you know, app store sort of a thing. 
Exactly. Like the Flex App Store or something kind of like that. But it'll be something that comes preloaded on the cube. So you don't have to download it. It's not going to be on Google Play. It'll be its own APK that's loaded in hard onto the device, can't be removed um, sort of thing, just like how you get with Google those hard, uh, hardwired apps that are stuck in there. Um, we'll have kind of our own. We want to have a gallery viewer. That's one. And that will be for viewing all of your, your NFTs. If you load this up and let's say you want to throw it onto mirror mode where it has the same NFT on all sides, there's no application to do that currently. So we got to create a, a gallery viewer that allows for either single view, uh, or six side view, whatever it happens to be. We're going to create a music player something that allows for your music to be displayed on top and then maybe lyrics along the side. Maybe you could have a visualizer, like imagine a, a, the Microsoft visualizer back in the day. Remember all the trippy visuals. Imagine that all over this thing. It looks super cool sitting on your desk as you're working. You get this really neat visualizer effect. So those kinds of things, the music, the gallery, um, you know, a, uh, we're, we're working to try and see if we can find someone who can already develop their wallet, like a wallet program, but that has the UI for six sides. Um, so you can connect your, your, your NFTs to it and display them directly from your wallet. Um, so there's a few things that we'll be building just like how Apple does. They have Apple music, Apple TV, whatever, but the majority of apps are dealt with by other developers that use their open source to build and sell and kind of create their own business model. And then Apple takes a cut. We're going to do the exact same thing, but we're going to try to be a little bit more shrewd about it. And that is our, our encompassing word that Scott likes to use. That is an acronym and it stands for sharing helps reward everyone with dignity. So that is the ethos of everything. And we hope that we can take a little bit less, give back a little bit more and embody the Web3 ethos of decentralization and um, redistribution of wealth and kind of giving back to people and, and allowing people to be the arbiter versus the, the large, big, bad, scary companies and kind of keeping the power dynamic equal with the consumer to the creator of the product. So it, it kind of seems that, yes, you guys started with NFTs, right? And that's how I, I think the idea came. But the FlexCube, the product is becoming, I, I would say, more general purpose. It's not, you know, kind of just for NFTs now. You're finding new ways to use the technology. And I think that is really cool. Like the, the way you are describing as to how it can be used in different ways. 100%. It, we definitely have found more, more uses as time has gone on. And that a lot of that is due to other people. Because while we do think of ideas and, you know, working with something a lot, obviously, you're going to come up with lots of thoughts around it, your brain is gonna be buzzing all the time. And we have a lot of ideas that we've come up with. But majority of the ideas, believe it or not, are come up from other people, people that kind of have an outside view, they're not so you know, two inches away from the darn thing that they're looking back really. And they come in and we say, here's what we got. Here's what we're doing. And then they go, oh, well, I'm a DJ. You know, you could use that as a MIDI device. Imagine plugging that into a keyboard and on the top you have a repeat button or a loop or, a, you know, you have a drum kit on one side or you have a synthesizer that you can move your finger and it and it moves with your finger and you you have that connected and that can just sit next to your next to your pioneer dj deck and as you're playing 
this is a MIDI device, dude. This is like the world's most advanced MIDI that you can do anything with. And we're like, oh my God, that, that's perfect. That's such a smart idea. And what we do is we call that a flex plus one. So he's adding something that we haven't had before. That's a plus one. And so we always get excited whenever there's a flex plus one. And if you or anyone happens to think of ideas, we're always open to hear them because that's what creates a good product is listening to the community, taking people's ideas and then running with it because people know what they want. And if we give it to them, they're going to want to buy it. If we turn this thing into the ability to make a MIDI device or put NFTs or play games or watch movies or whatever, then people are going to buy it for all those exact reasons. If it's just for NFTs, we're going to have to market to just NFT people. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that can do that, but then I'd feel so sad because as it's sitting at home on everyone's desk and all it's doing is NFTs, I'm crying because I'm thinking it can do everything. Why are we going to make force people to just do NFTs when it can literally do all of the best things in life? It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> and the one one guy I can think of who can I can brainstorm a lot is Marcus Brownlee. Yes, Marcus Brownlee. I love him. I think it'd be great when, and you know what? I watch his series called Dope Tech and he reviews super cool pieces of technology that are new, that just came out, that kind of are innovative in their, in their, in their sector. And we hope that once we're able to launch this, that we can send it to someone like him and we can say, hey, check us out. Are we dope tech? Because we think we're pretty dope, man. We think this is sick. And if Marquez Brownlee got his hands on one of these and it was working, it was functioning the way that we want, it was at that consumer level and it hit all those points perfectly, we think he'd say, this is something new. This is something that doesn't fit into the mold of anything else. It's not a smartphone. It's not even a tablet, even though we're calling it a six-sided tablet. It's just, it makes sense right now, right? But we're we're trying to change the vernacular and trying to help people learn. But um, it's, it's not even a tablet. It's something completely different. And, and it's really, I think, going to shift the industry and people who unbox, unbox therapy, Marquez Brownlee, um, your average consumer, um, you know, Mr. Who's the boss, all these guys who do these YouTube reviews, they're going to see this and they're going to flip. We know it. We know it. I watch them all the time. I see the stuff they review. So is the, is there like a provision where you can maybe onboard them or like talk to them as design partners and who can like share insight while you guys are like building it? Smart idea. I love it, man. I mean, that honestly, I haven't thought of that before. That That's a flex plus one right there. That's a great idea that we haven't done before that um, I think would be awesome. I mean, we my idea was to just build the product to, to the standard of what the consumers are asking us to do through you know our campaigns that we do. We'll do Twitter spaces and we'll ask people and we'll get some feedback from others around us and people within the space at like IRL, NFT meetups and stuff. And we'll ask people what they think it should have and what they believe it should look like and what it should be. And for the most part, everyone that says anything, for the most of it now, we've kind of leveled off where we're like, okay, we have that. Somebody else told us that too. We've already thought of that. A lot of the ideas now have kind of gotten to the point where we've kind of reached a, a, a kind of a crest. Um, so I hope that with that, we've gotten a good point, but I haven't, I haven't ever thought of that. And you know what? To be honest, they're going to be the most critical and the people with the most insight. So that's definitely something I think we need to start taking a look into is, is reaching out to them and finding a way that they can help us even in this prototyping phase, I think. So super smart. Thank you for that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Because uh, right now, right, I've been talking to a lot of uh, founders who 
have gotten into Y Combinator and they are into enterprise software, which is something I could never do. I don't, I'm not there yet. And, and we got started on the whole Y Combinator journey back in 2020 when we like built a product of our own, like a DIY e-commerce platform for people who don't want to code or don't know how to code. We, we did that. We applied to Y Combinator and they very politely told us that we already fund two companies to do that. So we cannot, you know, work with you guys. It's like competing with our own portfolio. And we, we took it with a grain of salt. Well, couldn't do anything. But in that process, right, uh, the YC community, the alumni especially, uh, it's very helpful in the sense that, you know, they'll just come on a call with you and review your application, your product, and just tell you what you can do better next time maybe when you apply. And the, and the one feedback that I've been getting over and over again is that I'm talking from a software perspective because that's what we were building. But the one idea that really stuck with me is that when you're building an enterprise uh, software product, you build the product with a customer who is already using like the most basic version of it. And you, and you kind of simply iterate on what the customer is telling you to do. Absolutely. And, and there are people who are, I would say, early adopters or like hobbyists who are very open to just try your product out and give give you like the first initial feedback as to how they see the product is helping helping them you know so maybe you guys can also launch what what i would define as a design partner program where you can onboard let's say maybe not marcus brownlee right now or maybe marcus brownlee if he agrees to yeah yeah that'd be awesome <laughs> And just have, let's say, 10 to 15 design partners, right? Who are, number one, ready to pay for the product and buy the product from you because that's very important. And then just give you incremental feedback as you, you know, build out all the software and all the hardware and how things are going. But I would say if you, let's say, do a pre-sale and get a get a prototype, 50 prototypes in, front, in, in, this, in hands of this community, right? That would just accelerate the process. I'll, I'll, in my experience, what I felt was it takes away the guesswork. You Now you are exactly sure what the customers want because the first 50 customers actually paid for your product. Yes, I like it. Super smart, man. Very, very good idea. And we're definitely going to do that now. <laughs> when I get off the call, I'm going to tell Scott, we got, we got some new stuff that he just dropped some alpha on us. So we got to, we got to do this. I love it. I think it's great. And we're, we're already looking for people um, on Twitter who we were able to partner with that can help us, you know, with design work and other stuff that, um, you know, I'm doing a million different things right now between marketing and design and website and, um, you know, doing the, the Twitter spaces and running the Twitter page and, um, the, the email accounts and all these things. There's a lot of puzzle pieces. So we're already bringing people on and I never thought to do design partners. So that's, that's awesome. And, uh, yeah, see, there is a perspective difference when, so for example, think about it this way. We are in this team who is behind the building of the product, right? We are not the user of the product. I mean, we do use it, but we're also building it. So we have the builder's bias. Does it make sense? Yes, absolutely. I love it. <laughs> so maybe if you have a restaurant, just give it to them and let them play with it. 
and then don't tell them how to use it and just see you know how they go about it yeah absolutely see how they how they adapt <laughs> yeah how, how they, how they pick it, it up yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome, and man. and do do ask for money from them because you know that kind of you know gets them committed to the product. Like okay, I bought it. I need to do something with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I and, love and it. there is a very there is a very big market of people who are absolutely willing, right? Who are ready to spend money on upcoming things because that's just kind of things they do, right? They enjoy it. It's fun for they, them. They they it's fun for them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great. I love it. Thank you so much. That's a super stellar idea. I know Scott's going to be super hyped on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, when the uh, Google Glasses came along, they actually sold that product. Yeah, and they, they had the prototypes. Yeah, yeah. I remember that, actually. Yeah. And, like, people were saying that they bought a prototype to review on their video and to, like, show people the inside and how the unboxing and all that. I remember that. So maybe you can start like a, I don't know, like an alpha launch program or something like that. Well, it's going to happen now, man. So now whenever you see this, you can point to it and you can say, I did that. I made that happen. That was my idea. Damn it. (laughs) I need credit. No, (laughs) No, I'll I'll, I'll send this clip actually. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Post the clip on, uh, on Twitter. Just clip it and be like, my idea. Mic drop. <laughs> I love it, man. No, I mean, that's, that's, that's a flex plus one. That's something that we hadn't thought before that is going to help us make the product better, make the experience better for people, make it happen faster, all of it. And on, on that note, why, why don't you guys also try to maybe apply to Y Combinator? For sure. What is Y Combinator? Can you tell me exactly? Because I've heard about it, but I never, I never looked into it. Okay, so very briefly, it's a VC VC company, or you can say they are an accelerator. They choose uh, thirty to forty companies per batch. They have two batches a year, and they invest. I I believe hundred thousand dollars in your company for around seven to eight percent of equity, and it's a three month program where you go to uh, their headquarters in California, and there are the other fellow founders who have come with their companies at the same time there are other people who have done companies before who have built products and i'm pretty sure there will be people who have done you know who have done hardware products just like yourself to to name a few companies uh, airbnb is a yc company uh, coinbase is a yc company i think even instacart is a yc company so, you know, they have worked with some incredible companies and they have an open application. So anyone can simply apply and get in. But it's always preferable to know someone definitely. But uh, but even they have like a startup school program where you can just, you know, go on their website and just look at how they help startups. And the, every, all the content is free. So I think it's a great way to get started. Also, uh, last time I was talking to Scott, right? I shared uh, Sean Gold's email address, uh, who is working with OpenVC right now. And and Sean told me that you are, maybe you guys, he told me a company who is making a cube is going to go for the pitch deck roast. Is that you guys? 
Yes. Uh, well, we we did try to get on there for the pitch deck roast. Um, we sent it a little while back, I think, for pitch deck roast number three, and it wasn't. It didn't get accepted. Um, and there was there was some things I think that we didn't have on there or something like that. And so we went through, we changed it, and we, we added to it and made it better. I'm not sure if Scott resubmitted yet or or if we're still waiting for that. But yeah, we definitely want to get roasted, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I, I I had Sean last week on the podcast and he was telling me, like I told him that, yeah, I told him that, you know, uh, Scott from FlexCube might have reached out to you. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I think they're going to come on the roast. And I was like, okay, then you, you guys already talked. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I love it. So I, I see I see that there is a small, small community that is building around this whole idea. It's very nice. I, I would say I'm particularly excited because after a very long time, I have seen a hardware product. Yeah, I know it's been it's been a while. I mean, the only other things that I've seen and I and I've worked with them are NFT display companies. You know, like uh, inf- I think it's called Infinite Spaces. They have Token Frame. They have uh, Metasil is a, is a very popular one, and all these frames are great, but they're they're very limited in what they can do. Um, again, single screen. So you only get one thing, right? A lot of them are, they're not the typical shape of an NFT. For some reason, NFTs became so popular that square now is kind of like, it's the thing, you know, everybody creates a square NFT and it's, it's very popular, but no screens are really square. Um, Metasil does create square displays, but they're, they're kind of pricey, right? They can be like 17 or, or 1200 bucks or something, I think for the low end one, and then like 2000 or something for the high end one. So, um, and, and again, it sits in one place. It doesn't have a touchscreen, you know, you can't play games on it. You can't have all of your stuff. So it's like, you're buying this $1,200 thing that has to just literally just sit on the wall. If you're going to buy it, even if this was, tw- I don't know how much exactly the retail cost will be because we're working on, there's a lot of pieces in terms of processors and prices are going up all the time. So we're still calculating, trying to get an exact idea. But even if this thing was the exact same, right? 1200 bucks is one of those things. At least with this, you have the ability to touch all the screens. You can interact with it. Each screen can display something different. Um, It has a speaker built in, which those, those things typically don't. They're just a a monitor. Um, You know, you can connect to it with your phone. You can, it has Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. It has a lot more connections and abilities than, than a, uh, than a picture frame. So just the operating system overall and what can be done is far greater, uh, for the exact same cost if they, if they were to be that exact same cost. So overall, um, this is, this is definitely something that's different and that stands out. Like I said, although there are display companies coming out, it's taking a lot of traditional stuff. It's taking a TV or a monitor and it's kind of putting a frame around it, um, and, and it's still, it's again, it's so limited. This is something so unlimited and so different and diverse um, that not even the screens alone being squares, there's very few companies in the world that make square displays. Most of them are 16 by nine or a four by three because that's the typical aspect ratio of a, of a monitor. Um, so even that alone is going to be unique to us that when, when we start, making these since there's six of them if we produce a thousand units we're going to need six thousand screens right off the bat so we're going to be one of the larger as time grows and we continue to sell hundreds of thousands of millions of these 
we're going to be the largest square screen buyer in the freaking planet soon um, because this is just unheard of. There's no other company that needs square screens on the level of what we're going to need. So we're going to have to develop, uh, obviously, connections with that. And we want to develop our own screen, our own, you know, we're, we've been looking at a lot of screens and some of them don't don't quite fit every single category we want. It's either not bright enough or it's not enough colors or it's not enough pixel density, one thing after the other. And so um, we're, we're looking at trying to develop our own screen. We're actually talking with the screen uh, uh, manufacturer right now that might be able to create a, a specific screen just for our product. Um, and then that would be, that'd be perfect. Yeah. And so, for example, uh, we are, you know, we are reaching towards the end of the podcast and I just have, I would say, one or two more questions, which, uh, which I would want to understand when you are uh, building the kind of business you are building, right? Where are, I would say there are a couple of moving parts. It's like juggling a lot of uh, balls at the same time. How, how do you kind of budget for such a project? In the sense, how do you kind of make sure, okay, we're not spending, you know, everybody has limited time and resource. So how does the decision-making process look like to deploy resources in a particular idea or project or area in getting the whole business off the ground? So there's a lot of ways in which it can be done. Um, the way that we're doing it right now is kind of a, it's it's a very speed run model, if you will. Um, so we're, we're really trying to do things quickly and try to move at the, at the pace of Web3, which is a very quick paced industry. Um, things are changing on a week by week basis. Uh, and a lot of times with the way ETH is going and the ups and downs of the crypto market and, and all sorts of volatility. Um, so in terms of us, managing and tracking everything. We do have a system. It's not the most organized, but we use Trello. And that is kind of our backend system that has, you know, our all of our branding stuff. It has where we keep our design elements. It's a place where we can all share our updated or our updates rather on our partnerships. So whether we're in talks with somebody, if we have a meeting scheduled or if the partnership is complete, we have different categories for that. Um, we have sections for our tweets and what goes out when, the times, the tweets that are written, the hashtags we use, um, kind of the flavors of the business, if you will. Just everything all pre-programmed. Um, we have a lot of email stuff, our hours tracker, all that is basically all done on Trello. So there is a system and a method to the madness. It's not the cleanest and it's a little busy and sometimes it can get kind of complicated some days when you're working one day after the other on a lot of different things and you're traveling around a lot and going to different, like I was just in Vegas doing a, an event where we were sharing about the flex cube and talking about it. There was a lot of times when I wasn't updating the Trello. And so now coming back, there's a lot of missing things on there. So it's not perfect, but it's, it's something that it's better than nothing. And the more that we continue to bring people on, the easier it's gotten. Um, when it's just myself, it's it's very difficult to kind of manage it all and just bringing in someone else who I can kind of display everything out and hear, let them tell me, okay, how do you think I should do it? Because my brain is overloaded and I can, I'm thinking of a million ways I can do it. I don't know which one is right. And so then somebody comes in from the outside and says, oh yeah, I'll help you. What do you got? I tell them everything and they go, here's what I think you should do. And I go, great. I'm going to go with your idea because I, I, I don't want to think about it anymore. I don't want to make the decision. I just want to pick something and move on. And it sounds like you're going to help me with this. So um, yeah, having having other people 
to be able to kind of bounce ideas off. The more and more people we get on board, the more feedback that we get, the easier it is for me to kind of create systems. And then once we have a system, it's a matter of just following the steps. Step one, step two, step three. All right, done. And move on to the next thing and just have an order of operations for everything, basically. I see. So uh, if I have $1,000 or $2,000 and I want to buy FlexCube, by what date do you think I can do that? So do you mean buy a FlexCube, like buy the physical unit or buy into FlexCube, like as a investor uh, type position? Like uh, the, the product, like as a consumer, like I, I want it for my desk. So if you want to, if you want to buy the product, um, as of right now, we don't have any pre-sales going yet, but November 30th will be the, the date that the website will go live and you can, you can pre-order through the Indiegogo and it'll allow you to select whatever option you want, um, with the different accessories and all that stuff. And that'll be, um, just the typical model that you would see on there. But yeah, we don't have anything yet. So if you want to buy it right now or you want to give us money, I'm sorry, keep your money yet for now <laughs> until November 30th. And then we'd be willing to take it. But we want to make sure that we have all kind of the back end set up correctly, that we have the proper, um, basically, we want to really make sure that what is spelled out and what you're buying is what you'll actually be getting. So we really want to make sure that if we say it's going to have a 1080p screen or a 4K or a 720 or whatever it is, or the battery is going to last this long or what have you, we want to guarantee and beforehand make sure that all that stuff is correctly done. We have contracts in place with manufacturers. We have everything lined up to where on November 30th, when we take that first dollar from somebody that we know these are the things that will actually be in it. We may not know the exact processor number or the exact screen serial number, but we have the idea of what the specs will contain. So, so you take the orders on, let's say, 30th. And by when do you think I can get it in my hand? So really great question. And I probably should have said this before. <laughs> so whenever you, whenever you pre-order on November 30th, um, it will take approximately probably about 10 to 12 months to deliver. So a typical time frame for any Kickstarter, Indiegogo, crowdfunding sort of thing is typically about one year, anywhere from eight to eight months to one year, I think it's kind of the average. And so we're expecting that exact same time frame of about 10 to 12 months. Um, so that way by November of next year, um, everyone will have their FlexCube. The software will be operating. We'll have that gallery. We'll have the music player. We'll have all that stuff going. And so that way, it'll be fully operational and ready to go. Um, and people can enjoy it by Christmas of next year. I see. So th this is the consumer version, right? And for consumer example, version. the end the enterprise version you're discussing. Uh, what what's like? What's the timeline like on that? When so enterprise version, I don't know exact specifics because our main focus and priority right now is on the consumer version. Um, so we do want to create the the desk, uh, you know, the restaurant version, the industrial version, if you will. Um, but we there's going to have to be some modifications, and there's going to be, you know, we're going to have a different kind of a dream customer that we're going to be targeting for that, and a different individual price point's going to be very different. Um, we're going to have a different model where you rent them out instead of purchasing them and you pay 
for software and you pay access for uh, certain things. And there's going to be a whole nother model. So there's a lot more that kind of has to be built out. But for now, our main focus is really on the consumer grade product. We want to be able to get something out that shows people can use this when people are using it and it's being proven that it's a good product. It's going to be a lot easier to go to a business and say, people are already using these in their home. This is the next step is setting it here and allowing people to use it here. Um, and it's going to give you all these other options and what have you. So, For example, a lot of companies, right, when they do things like this, they go enterprise first because enterprises are, you know, they, they can sign big checks than a consumer. So is that something you guys think about? Yes. So, yeah, absolutely. We have thought about it before, and believe it or not, this isn't the only thing that we have to offer. And there are other things that we're working on. Um, one of them, which I probably should have brought up sooner in the interview, but that's okay. We can talk more about it in another time. This gives us an opportunity to expand and to, to go into this again, um, is not only are we going to do the Flex Cube, and we have plans to do the, the, the uh, restaurant version and a DJ version and all sorts of other ideas that we have surrounding that. But we, we really want to bring this as a consumer grade product to people. We think that's that's what it'll be best used for in the beginning. Um, and, and with the way Web3 is moving right now, NFTs, people spend thousands on and they never get to display them, right? So given a device that allows you to display, we think is so crucial to this industry. But we hear what you're saying and we know what you're saying and we know that B2B is the place to be. And so we have created something cool, or we, I should say, Scott, who is a packaging expert who has spent over 35 years in the package design industry, has created this. And so if you can see, it's really thin, right? It's on the back of my phone. And let me actually see if I can turn, there we go. Maybe I can do this. Let me turn off my, uh, my background really quick, because this will it'll look better without the background, okay? So let me do this. Let me here. Let me go. Oops. Yep. There we go. It's working. My my room is messy, so don't judge me. Okay. I'm a I'm a creative genius. All right. It needs to be messy. I have my ways. All right. So so here's what we're working on. This is called the Snap Cube or the Flex Cube Snap. We haven't exactly pinned down the exact right name, but the idea is that it lives on the back of your phone, and it's a portable version of what the Flex Cube will be. And so. As you carry this around on your phone, whenever you want at any point, you'll be able to pull this out and by opening it up, it opens into a cube. And this is a six-sided target that produces multi-layered AR. And with this, what we can do is we can deliver a lot of cool stuff. And the first Thing that we're doing right now is there's a company here in San Diego that's actually right down the street from us called Upper Deck, and they do uh, sports collectibles and trading cards. And they're a huge trading card company. And so we're talking with them and we're in talks right now with creating one of these for their brand that would essentially be able to be given in a pack where it would open up like a card. So imagine this, right? In a silver in a silver uh, foil pouch, just like you'd get a baseball card, and you hold the back and you rip open, and it poop and it pops open, and on the side there's actually a spot where you can put custom um, words and serial numbers here, and so we can make them custom, and just like trading cards, they can have value, 
and you can see what card you got by pointing your phone at it and opening the AR and scanning your code and seeing what you've unlocked with your with your thing. And then you can attach other things to it. You can attach your own NFTs, your own pictures, whatever you choose. And you can carry it around on the back of your phone. And whenever you want, you can poop, pop it open. You can show your friends and family and you can flex on the go. And so this is the the the, the smaller version. And this will be a direct uh, B2B deal where we would work with larger companies that have an audience that want to deliver a consumable to them that's cheap, that delivers a unique experience that they can airdrop goodies onto. So imagine, again, if we were to work with Upper Deck and let's say, I think they, they're working with like the NHL, the National uh, Hockey League. So if we were to work with them and say, hey, let's give one of these out to people, to anyone who buys, let's say, a special pass at, at the next NHL game, they get one of these cool things by Upper Deck. And when they open it up, It'll pop open and they'll be able to scan it and a select amount of people will get access to maybe a special card or a special photo or special NFT, or perhaps an NFT goes out to everyone who gets one. Let's say everyone who walks in the door gets one of these for free. And it says, everyone open up your cube and there's going to be an NFT in there. The first 100 people to mint get to keep it permanently. Everyone else at the end of the event, it removes it from your cube. And the people who minted were one out of a hundred people who got that unique collectible item. And so it's something new that we can mass sell to businesses and give them a, an ability to offer lots of cool collectibles, airdrops, all sorts of fun things that's an affordable way that you can carry on the back of your phone that will be able to be delivered much faster. We can we can get this done in like the next 60 days. We can get all these started to print and starting to ship out. Whereas again, this is about a year until it lands in people's hands. This is about 60 days until it lands in people's hands. So B to B and then B to C right here. So and eventually B to B. But for now, we got two different models and we got a couple other things in the works, but that's kind of where, where I'll leave it for now. So <laughs> So, so how the B2B product, uh, is, it's called Flex? Well, we were either calling it the Snap Cube, because whenever you open it, it snaps open, right? Or the Flex Cube Snap, because we want to kind of keep Flex in there. So we're not entirely sure yet if we just want to call it Snap Cube and kind of drop the Flex. Or if we want to say, no, it is the Flex Cube product, but it's the Snap version or the or the Pocket version, maybe. We're, we're still kind of playing around with it, but that's that's where we're at right now is we're, we're working a lot on this. We just haven't fully exactly named it because it's more about the, the back-end deal and it's kind of showing companies all the potential that can be done. The name isn't isn't the uh, the most important to a lot of them right now, but we're, we're working that. We will get it. <laughs> So, so the way it works is you you take it out, you make you form the cube, and then you scan it using your phone, and then you see the collectible on your phone. Yep, exactly. I, I got it. I got it. Wow. And they can be colored in a lot of different ways. So you, when you open it, as you're opening the pack, just like you would see maybe a, a holographic Pokemon card or something, right? Something cool. You get a little excited. Well, these can be printed white silver, gold, holographic, whatever. They can be printed in, in different things. Um, the, the barcode back here can have different stuff. So while it's sitting there and you open it, it kind of opens and maybe you see this bar is gold. And that way, as you open you, oh my God, I got a gold one. There's only 300 gold ones in this whole stadium. I'm one of 300 people. I got a gold one. That's awesome. And then when, when everyone tells you to pull open your phone in AR and everyone points, um, you can either have it to where each cube receives a different 
uh, a different thing. And that would be done through the client side. So essentially, as you open the app, each phone has a different IP address and each IP would be delivered a different uh, consumable, a different collectible. Or you could have it to where everyone gets the same consumable, but it's it's limited. So maybe only 100 people get to mint it and you have to be quick. You got to be one of the first to be able to click it on, mint it, connect your wallet, buy it. Boom, I got it. You know, So there's a few different ways that we can play with it. And there's a lot, there's plenty of other ideas that we have too with this, but those are just kind of the surface level that gives you the idea of the B2B and, and some of the things we're doing on this end of things with B2B. It, it kind of, yeah, I, I think we did not discuss the SnapCube before. Yep, we got the SnapCube. It's on here. And and this will be the B2B for now, B2C, and then soon B2B. And and also B2C on this too. We have uh, ways that we want to deliver this essentially just for free, um, where, where people can just, as long as they just pay us the shipping to ship this little thing to them in like an envelope, um, then we can ship it to them uh, for free essentially. So we want to be able to do that. So that way people can get in on FlexCube and enjoy it. Um, in different ways. It's not going to come with any collector's items attached to it. It will just be the cube that you can put your own NFTs. You can put your own stuff or, um, you know, whatever. But but that's another alternative as well. But definitely for writing those big checks, B2B, baby. <laughs> B2B is where it's got to be. Yeah, it's uh, B2B for the big checks. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, Brad, I would say this this was very enlightening. I learned way too many things today. I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take a day off tomorrow and just think about <laughs> everything we discussed. Literally, yes. write yeah, write yeah, up yeah. a little dissertation and then uh, and take it, <laughs> pray over it, and then just burn in the fire and forget about it and be like, I'm cleaning my hands of this. I can't. I can't. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How how was your experience? You were on the other side of it. I loved it, man. Great host. You you were very kind. I, even when I was blabbering away for 25 minutes straight, you uh you you sat there quietly and you you took it, man. You 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 allowed me to speak my my piece and get it all out and uh and feel like I was able to to say everything I wanted to and uh didn't interrupt me. So yeah, I had a great time. Very professional. Um I look forward to to hearing it and seeing it. And uh, hopefully other people can get something out of it. Hopefully there's some some benefits or some little nuggets in there. And if anyone, you know, wants to collaborate and, and partner with us, we're always looking for people. So, yep. And everyone I'm talking to, I think I'm talking to like 20, 20, 25 founders right now. I'm, I'm pitching flexible to all of them. Like, you know, I'm like telling people stories about, you know, okay, I'm talking to this person. They're doing this and that and this. So I'm like, you know, passing things around. And I think that's how that's how the whole Sean discussion came along. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm also enjoying the whole vibe. Of, yeah, it's it's fun. Very cool. Well, we appreciate your your energy and helping us, uh, you know, supporting us because this is definitely a big endeavor. And we are not a Samsung. We are not an Apple. We're not a billion dollar company. Uh, we're just a couple dudes in a garage. You know, we're it's the old Apple before Apple was Apple, right? When they're all sitting in the garage trying to make something happen. Everybody thinks it's not possible. The, the stories of Steve Jobs saying, this is what I want in the iPhone. The engineer saying, it's not possible. You can't do it. And he says, don't come back to me until it's done, basically. That's, that's kind of in the point where we're at, where there's a lot of things that haven't been done before with this idea and this project, putting so many things into one cube and allowing all of them to interconnect and talk to each other is kind of difficult. And there's a lot of moving 
not physically moving pieces, but everything in there is stationary in the cube, but there's just a lot of moving pieces in general, you know, with everything going on. So, um, we're just in those early stages and we, we believe that over the coming years in the next decade that we can blow up like a Google or, or an Apple, you know, I mean, it, it took them a little while, but at a certain point they hit a break and, and it was just exponential growth ever since that point. And, um, we think that our product is really good. Everyone we've shown it to really enjoys it. And we've gotten great feedback. There's maybe only been one person, truthfully, one person that was a little negative. And even them, they told us this could be a billion dollar brand. Um, but they're, and the guy said, you guys talk a lot. So you guys need to allow people to ask questions. And so we're like, okay, we'll stop. But that was the only one where we kind of got a negative response. I think it's just because we wouldn't shut up. Um, but I'm, you know, we're working on that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would say I'm a very, very big fan of people who decide, okay, this is something we find is extremely important and we have to do it. And I, 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 I like that kind of compulsive behavior. And I, I'm just, I don't know. That's, that's why I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing right now. It's, it's great. Hey, you got that same energy, man. Yeah, you got that same energy. And, and the more you surround yourself with people like that, the the more normal it becomes, you know. If you listen to uh, there's a guy named Ed Milet, I love listening to his his talks and stuff. And he talks about where he says the people who are 97 degrees, they work hard, they play hard, they rest well, they keep track of their body, they they eat right, they do everything, and they're up at this high 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 level. And people who are 70 degrees will come along and try to drag them down and cool down their life in a sense and, and try them. Don't work out so hard. Don't push yourself so hard. Don't work so long hours, all these things. But if you surround yourself with other 97 degrees or people who are even higher, like 100 degrees, you're going to go, I'm not good enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. And so you'll you'll push yourself. You'll excel. And it's all about who you surround yourself with. And being around you, we get that, those good energy where it wants us to continue pushing because you're motivating us. I'm seeing you doing your thing with Sunday Pajamas and you're helping other entrepreneurs and business owners talk about their idea and express it and get it out there. Um, and so, yeah, the more that I see people like yourself doing it, it makes me want to continue doing it because there are times when you're working on this at home and you're, your head's buried in something and it's frustrating because you can't figure it out or you're, you're, you're upset because you, you don't have enough time to spend with your, your girlfriend or your, your pet, or you, you don't have time to go out anymore and do the things that you enjoy for hobbies. So it definitely gets kind of heavy sometimes, but then running into someone like you, it, it brings back that fire of like, dude, I met, I met him today. I was so hyped up. I met this other girl today. She was really nice. I was hyped up on her energy. I'm ready to hit it hard again and, and go for another week. And I can do this, you know, and it just gives you that motivation. So hundred percent, man, appreciate all the good energy and good vibes. But this was fun. This was a lot of fun.